Well, hey, good morning. Once again, New City, it is awesome to be here with you today. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Super excited just to jump into God's Word with you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11 is such an incredibly important passage. And not only does it fit the circumstances of us looking forward to and anticipating uh, Good Friday and, and Easter, but it certainly reminds us of so many truths about who Jesus is and what he has done Um, that apply to our lives even now. Um, The reality is just of life-changing importance. Um, So this morning, as we're in John chapter 11, we actually learn a ton about Jesus as Jesus is grieving when a dear friend of his, a man named Lazarus, dies. And we see really a couple right off the bat super important things about Jesus that we want to dig into this morning. Um, The first is that Jesus grieves with the sisters of Lazarus, and he even becomes angry at death. Um, It's such an encouragement to me just to remember, you know, we can do the same, that it's okay to not be okay when difficult and painful and hurtful things take place. But even more than that, to be able to remember that in this story and in our own story, that Jesus didn't just leave it there. While he grieved with those who were grieving, he made a way. He brought answers. He brought hope because he's the only one who could. And I, I love that. So as we go through John 11 this morning, it's a really long passage, the whole of, of John chapter 11. And so we're going to kind of take it in four bite-sized chunks this morning. So if you've got your notes or you're taking notes this morning, four basic applications from God's word this morning in John chapter 11 that really answer for us the question, how does Jesus help? In circumstances of all types, in difficult times, how does Jesus help? Four applications. Jesus loves, Jesus listens, Jesus laments, and Jesus responds. Let's take a moment. Let's open in a word of prayer before we jump into God's word this morning. Father God, we do thank you this morning that you are alive. God, that you reign, that you are sovereign, and that you are good. And so, Father, as we come to your word, your perfect, infallible, trustworthy word, Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears afresh to see and hear, to believe and trust the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that that changes everything. We thank you that Jesus is with us in all circumstances, that he hurts when we hurt. Father, we trust you this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, number one, Jesus loves. Jesus loves us personally and powerfully. And we're going to see that here at the beginning of John chapter 11. Take a look at me. Uh, I'm going to be reading the English Standard Version this morning, but take a look at me with the first five verses here. Starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We're reminded right off the bat here that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his friends, personally. 
know, this is driven home by the fact that it actually says it twice here, just in this opening portion of the story. And John uses two words here in Greek to express that love. He uses both the word phileo, the friendship, the city of Philadelphia of brotherly love, as well as agape, the self-sacrificial love that Jesus loves them in both of these ways. We're reminded that there's already been a friendship here. It was Mary who was going to anoint Jesus just a few days later, right before the very first Palm Sunday, which is recorded both in John chapter 12 as well as in Luke chapter 10. You know, Jesus loves his people. It is so simple, but it's so profoundly important. We teach our kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We've got to remember that truth and remember that if you are in Christ, Jesus loves you. Believer, Jesus loves you. And if you have not met Jesus personally yet, he longs to have, desires to have loving relationship with you. The door is always open. I love that the message though from Mary and Martha here, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point because that's the way you can talk to somebody that you know loves you and cares about you. So they tell Jesus their problem. They just simply believe that Jesus is going to take care of it. That's what prayer is on its simplest form. You talk to God and he listens and he answers better than we can even try and and come up with ourselves. There's a promise there. Remember, God cannot and God will not forsake his people that he loves. Jesus loves you personally. But he's also powerful. If we continue on to John chapter 11, verse six, very short, but super important. So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus loves them. And yet he waits two more days before he comes. You may hear that or read that and go, what? How does that make any sense? As I said last week, when hearing about the woman who, uh, the, the father whose daughter had died and needing that same response from Jesus, Jesus delayed there as well. You know, if you think in our own modern terms, this would be malpractice. Again, if you went to the emergency room and the doctor phoned in and said, listen, I understand this is a life and death situation. I'll be there in a couple of days. You can imagine the chaos. Guys, let's understand that there will be times when you will be tempted to believe that both parts of God's character are not true, meaning that God loves and that he's in control. Okay, so you may begin to think in difficult circumstances, yes, God loves me, but he doesn't have the power to fix this situation. Or you may be feeling or thinking the reverse, you know, God's in total control. Yeah, sure, but he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Guys, understand God loves and is in total control that he can powerfully and lovingly do both. See, because here's the difference, right? Between your ER doctor and Jesus. One of them died on the cross in your place to save you from your sins. And one of them has the power to conquer death. That's why it's different. That's why we can trust Jesus. And as we think about Jesus delaying those two days, you know, faith means trusting in God's timing when you want to set your own timing. Say it again. Faith means trusting God's timing even when you want to set your own timing. It's not about 
when you think that Jesus should come. It's about when Jesus chooses to come. And if we dig into this passage, we see that Jesus delays intentionally so that his love and his power could be revealed by a more glorious way, says the scripture, so that those who were there as eyewitnesses would believe. One of the things that we can see that Jesus is doing is he wants to make it 100% clear here that there is no medical explanation other than that the Son of God is going to do a miracle to save Lazarus from the dead. So we can trust that in every difficult circumstance that God is good and that God is in total control. You know, before we leave this passage, I just want to make one other observation about Jesus' love, and, and that is that Jesus also loves here in this story his disciples, and he is patient with them. If we continue to read on between verse 7 and 16, we really get two basic facts about these, the original 12 disciples or followers of Jesus. The first is the disciples are more and more living in fear. Uh, You may be tempted to judge them and go, come on guys, Jesus is right there. But remember that the crucifixion of the son of God is less than two weeks away in this story. So don't judge them too harsh. But secondly, they don't understand yet. Even though they see Jesus, even though they hear Jesus, they don't fully understand that Jesus is going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. In verse 11, Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples misunderstand him and they think he means literal sleep. So he says plainly to them, guys, the man is dead, but I want you to see what I'm going to do. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I'm not there so that you can believe. You know, at New City, we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And disciple is is a Bible word that just simply means follower, a follower of Jesus. And guys, as followers or disciples of Jesus, let's choose afresh today to live by faith rather than by fear because of the love and the goodness of Jesus. And let's live remembering. Today, let's remember and live our lives in such a way that says, I understand that the foundation of my life in all things is built upon the fact that Jesus has conquered already my worst enemies, the enemies of sin and death. So disciples, fellow disciples, new city, Jesus loves us personally and powerfully. Number two, let's take a look at number two. Jesus listens. The scripture tells us here, Jesus listens to us and gives us true words of hope. I'm going to read now. This is verses 20 through 27 as we continue in the story. Scripture says this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
First, Jesus listens. He listens to Mary and Martha. And she says to him, Jesus, where were you? Where were you? And Mary is so upset, she won't even come and talk to him yet. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you genuinely thought, Jesus, where were you in this situation? Where were you when this happened to my business or my income? Where were you when these things happened in my family? Where were you when my health fell apart? Where were you when this person died? I just want to remind you, first of all, if you have cried out to Jesus, understand that he is listening I want you to know Jesus is always listening to you. But you also see how God is working in this situation and speaking to Mary and Martha. See, Martha, first of all, is struggling a little bit with a little bit of kind of a a vending machine Christianity almost. Just like the woman last week who came up from behind and touched the outer edge of Jesus' garment, but then wanted to, to leave quickly. The idea being sort of you put a coin in, you press the button, and you get your Doritos out of the bottom, and you can walk away. Jesus, or these people just want Jesus to to fix their immediate problem. They don't realize that Jesus is offering eternity and relationship with him. They just want an immediate problem fixed. So she hasn't fully grasped until this conversation who Jesus really is and what he's come to do. She says, I know Lazarus will rise again on the last day, but Jesus wants us to understand that he can fix not only the immediate problems, but he can fix eternal problems. So Jesus listens, and then Jesus gives words of hope. Jesus amazingly is going to do both things here. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead immediately, and Jesus will raise him eternally. And so Jesus says, I am am the resurrection and the life. Meaning by his Holy Spirit, he's going to regenerate people who are spiritually dead on their own and separated from God the Father because of their sin and bring new life. John 5 24 says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so even as Jesus speaks, Martha responds to Jesus' words in faith and says, I believe you are the Christ. I believe you are the Son of God. We've got to remember, guys, that Jesus listens. When we are struggling, Jesus listens, and he gives us the true word of hope. Number three, Jesus laments. Jesus laments with us in our pain and rages uh, for us against death. Let me say that again. Jesus laments with us in our pain and rages for us against death. Take a look at verses 32 through 36 now of this passage. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Guys, Jesus weeps with his people. Mary fell down at Jesus' feet, overwhelmed by the reminder and the sight of her brother's grave, of her brother's tomb. But also she kneels down before the one, the only one who she knew was the son of God. And she says to Jesus, if only you had been here. And I love the shortest verse in all the Bible, right? We all have it memorized. Jesus wept. Jesus saw the grief of these two people that he loved. And he knew that they had been overwhelmed by death. He loved Lazarus who had died. Jesus empathizes with them. Jesus hurts because they hurt. Jesus hurts when you hurt. Jesus wept when he saw his unbelieving people, the Jews weeping also. You know, Matthew chapter nine says, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A little bit later, Luke chapter 19, Jesus is going to weep for the whole city of Jerusalem because he knows that they will ultimately reject him. This scene is the creator of the world grieving the loss of his creation. This is the savior of the world grieving over the whole human race because he knows that they will by and large reject him. And that moment is only a couple weeks away. That moment of the crucifixion of Jesus. People of God, couple of things to take away here. First of all, it is okay to not be okay. The Psalms guide us in what it looks like to lament and to grieve when very real and difficult circumstances happen in our lives. Psalm 6, I am weary with all my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 88, maybe the darkest psalm in all of scripture that I'll actually be preaching on in just a couple weeks to continue to to speak to this question in our lives. Psalm 88 says, you have caused my friend to shun me and darkness has become my only companion. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But remember, there's more here. Not only does Jesus weep with those who weep, Jesus was enraged at sin and death. In verse 33 and again in verse 38, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek words behind that are so important to understand. And there's an essay that was written by a a theologian named B.B. Warfield back in 1912 called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And basically what he sought to do was just look at every place in all of the New Testament that Jesus shows emotions. Uh, This has been such a powerful essay in my life that's just helped me understand myself, how I can use emotion to glorify God, but also just who Jesus is and the ways that he cares for me, that he cares for his people, that he cares for his church. So B.B. Warfield here on this specific passage, he says this, what John tells us is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. What's he mean? He did respond to the spectacle of human sorrow with quiet, sympathetic tears. Jesus wept. But the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. Jesus hated sin. 
Jesus hated death and seeing his friend that he loved taken by death made him rage. And yet in his anger, he didn't sin. Now, what do we do? How do we respond to God's word here? I want to just remind us of a couple things, guys. First of all, we can and we must weep with those who are weeping. We've got to grieve with those who are grieving, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, says 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And further, Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry and yet do not sin. We don't have to have all the answers, guys. We don't because we know the one who does, who has every single answer, who loves us, who grieves with us, who is angry for us, and yet who is in total control. We can trust that the son of God who raged at death did not leave us to simply weep in our pain, which brings us to number four. Jesus responds. Jesus responds to our need by bringing us from death to life. Look once more at the scripture. This is John chapter 11, starting in verse 37 through 44. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Jesus didn't weep, guys, because there was nothing that he could do. He was the only one who could do anything for Lazarus. And Jesus responded to that need. He removes the stone that had been settled there for four days. He cried out so that all those who could hear his voice would believe. Martha, it's interesting. Martha throws this this crazy comment in. Martha still is showing her lack of trust when she actually objects to what Jesus is doing. You know, hey, Jesus, he's going to stink. He's going to smell bad. What an odd detail for scripture to include until we we recognize here what's going on. She is concerned with such an, an absurdly small thing rather than focusing on the greatness of what Jesus is about to do. Guys, there are not enough toilet paper rolls to gather. There are not enough groceries to go out and buy. There are not enough paper bills to pile up that can any way overcome the situations that we face. Don't live in fear over little things when you can focus on what God in his power has already done in the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection here. 
Jesus' resurrection makes a way for our resurrection. This is what we celebrate on Good Friday, Jesus' death and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, that what he has done leads us forward that we might follow him in it. Here with Lazarus, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. He thanked his father for always hearing him. He praised that those watching would believe. Then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He didn't have to even touch Lazarus. This is the power of the word of God. The voice of God gives life. The Bible says the man who had died came out. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is the way from death to life. The book of John declares he is the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, the life, and the true vine. As the song says, Jesus is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. He's the hope to the hopeless, and he is the answer to our questions. He's the loving God. He's the sovereign Lord. Jesus is the one from this passage who loves, who listens, who laments, and who responds. He didn't leave us in our grief. He brought Lazarus back from the dead, and he can give you eternal life. See, two weeks after this scene, two weeks after he raised Lazarus from the dead, the worst tragedy of all time will take place. The vilest, most unjust, most horrific death and suffering of all time. When the guiltless son of God willingly died on a cross for sins that he did not commit, for sins that you and I committed. There is nothing worse. There is nothing darker. Jesus himself cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was crucified by the same people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Lazarus. But he was dead three days in a cave behind a stone wrapped in cloth, but the stone was rolled away. The angel says to the women, he is not here for he has risen as he said. He is alive. He has conquered sin and Satan and death for you, for me. 1 Corinthians 15 is so powerful. It indicates why the resurrection matters. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that man, Adam. By a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The call of scripture is clear. Will you call upon him today? Believer, when you struggle, will you call upon Jesus? If you have never come to know Jesus personally, to to ask for and receive his love, his power, to say, Jesus, be my savior, be the Lord of my life. I step off of the throne. I'm asking you, Jesus, to take over the throne of my life. Forgive me of my sins, I pray. Today can be that day. Hear the words of Jesus in the scripture. Let's take a moment now and let's just close in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we look to you this morning 
in faith. We trust you. Lord, I pray for everyone who is here with John 11 this morning, Lord, that they might be encouraged from your word. We thank you that we understand more deeply who Jesus is and how he can help. We thank you that Jesus loves us, that Jesus listens to us, that Jesus even laments with us, but that Jesus did what only Jesus could do in that he responds. Oh, Jesus, we look to you this morning. And Father, I pray for those who have not yet Receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, would you make them unsettled until they come to find joy and hope and life, salvation and peace in you. Lord, that, 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 script, that, that prayer is so simple. I confess my sin. I recognize that I need Jesus as my Savior. We look to you this morning for salvation. Father, we look to you for hope. God, we thank you that you are alive. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.